Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a girlfriend to join me and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Today's show is brought to you by Greenlight. Are you looking to teach your kids how to be smart with money? Greenlight is a debit card for kids that parents manage with a handy app. With Greenlight, you can set parental controls to decide the exact stores where your kids can shop, receive real-time alerts, automate allowances, and so much more. The app even teaches kids lessons in trade-off decisions and money management skills. Join Greenlight today at greenlightcard.com slash happy hour. That's greenlightcard.com slash happy hour. All right, guys, happy, happy Wednesday. We're halfway through October and the weather has finally shifted for us in Texas. All of the praise hands in the air because it's gotten chilly. I've been home the past couple of weeks working on book writing and getting in some phenomenal family time with my people. But I wanna tell you about where I'm gonna be next Friday, October 25th. I'm gonna be in Louisville, which is Dallas-Fort Worth area at The Door Church. I'm speaking at their women's conference. There's tickets still available. So any of you friends up in the DFW area, come on over to Louisville and hang out with me there. You can find more information about the event in the show notes. Friends, today my guest is Mercedes Cotchery. Mercedes and I met a few years ago at an adoption event. And today on the show, I finally have the opportunity to talk with her about being a lover of God and being a messed up sinner, because that's what we all are, you guys, that there's grace and tremendous freedom in living vulnerably before God and in the church. Mercedes shares how she had made her marriage and her husband an idol in her life. I don't know about you if you are a woman who's married, but I have experienced some things that Mercedes was talking about. She experienced a paradigm shift of where her trust in her marriage is in God and not the perfection of her husband. We talk about how the Cotchery family was formed through adoption and the medical condition that Mercedes was born with that actually prevented her from having children. You're gonna wanna lean in and not miss when we talk about this element of Mercedes' story. Her perspective of being born barren is incredibly beautiful. And no matter if this is your story and you can relate to her in this way or not, I believe God has something in this episode for you. Friends, today is the first day of our Patreon book club. We're kicking off our book club with Latasha Morrison's new book, Be the Bridge, which actually just released yesterday. So I hope you were able to pre-order it and you now have it in your hands. I would love for you to join us. It's jamieivy.com slash Patreon. For the remainder of the year, come join our party over on Patreon and be a partner with me in what we're creating at the happy hour. At our $3 a month party guest tier, you get one additional episode a month and you're connected via our private Patreon party page. So for the book club series, not only are we gonna read the books together, but I'm then gonna interview the authors of the book and that's gonna be your extra episode. Also friends, you remember Tess Clark from episode number 260 just a couple of weeks ago? Well, she joins me for our after the show segment, which comes out this Friday. That is for all of our VIP Patreon friends. You guys probably know that I went on a trip with Tess to El Paso back in September. Well, I just released a blog post yesterday that has some more information about that trip, how you can learn more, and how you can even be a part of sharing about the organization with your friends and family as well. So check that out, jamieivy.com. All right, guys, here's my conversation with my friend, Mercedes Cotchery. Mercedes, welcome to the happy hour. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be sitting down with you in your hometown. Yes. Charlotte, North Carolina. Absolutely. How long have you lived here? Not long. Three years. Okay. Where were you before? I've lived all over. So I'm from Eastern North Carolina. We lived in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York, and now Charlotte. 
So the reason you traveled so much, because your husband played professional football. Yeah. Is that what took y'all all over the world, all over the places? Yes. Okay. Okay. No, so Charlotte's home now because he's a coach, right? Yes. And because, but before he became a coach, he just loved it here. And so what, what happened is when he played in 2014, we still domiciled in New Jersey and we would just live. Say that. What'd you just say? Domicile. I don't know that word. That's your main place of living. I have never heard that word in my really? entire life. Thank you for educating me today. Okay. <laughs> no, I learned it because I wanted to pay North Carolina state taxes. That's how you know. And New Jersey said, no, ma'am. <laughs> yeah. 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 But um, so we would live here for about four months and then go back to New Jersey. And we found a church here that he just really loved. And he said, we're moving. And I left kicking and screaming, but I love it. So you wanted to stay in Jersey. I did. You loved it. I did. I love the culture, the ethnic diversity. In my neighborhood, there were 11 homes, but Italians, um, Asians, Blacks. Everything. Yeah. Indians yeah. Yeah, with 11 homes. Yeah. Yeah. That's diverse. I have some friends who play in the NFL mm-hmm. and they have a home in where they play and one in Austin as well. So yeah. they do that back and forth. I'm always like, are you, where, where are you living right now? Like what's happening? Yeah. So trying to keep up with that is kind of crazy. But I love doing it. So in, uh, when we lived in Pittsburgh, we didn't have like a real serious house. Oh, I didn't even mention that yet. So let's back up. When we lived in New Jersey, it was a rental and we would just furnish it. And each time we only brought our clothing. Oh. So yeah, and um, it also gave you a good start over. Like yes. you, you kind of wasn't so great in your relationships that season. You go back to New Jersey, you come back a whole new person and try to make it new again. I love that fresh start. I love that. I'm going to tell Aaron I need a home someplace else. Where am I going to get a home? North Carolina. North Carolina. Absolutely. North Carolina. Yeah. Okay, so tell us, give us a little sn- snippet about your life, everything you do, everything you're involved in. Give me your elevator pitch about Mercedes. Wow. Okay. I'm a mom of five. I homeschool. I'm a shop owner. I'm a home stylist. I'm a wife. I am a sold out lover of Jesus Christ. And that might be it. I think that's a lot. It is. And you also do some other things. Like I follow you on social media. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, you do other things. We do other things too. So what is the brunch that you put on? So it's a mother's brunch where we celebrate women. So my coined term for moms is moms, but it doesn't mean you rock. It means that sometimes you suck, but you're out here in the thick of things doing it for the glory of God. But some days you get it, some days you don't. And I wanted to motivate women. So about two years ago, I was just thinking like, I love God and this is still insanely hard for me. Like Parenting. yeah, Yeah. Like I cry most days. Um, I might raise my voice. Yeah. Um, that was putting it kindly. Like, yeah, yeah no, it gets girl, special. We know, yeah. yeah. And, um, I just wanted to share, uh, what it's like being in the trenches with little kids because we're the only shot they've got. And if we don't have it together and if we can't renew our minds every day and start over and not hold against them what they did yesterday, who can? Yeah. Um, and that's where mommy moments, meltdowns and mercies, um, Began the mercy portion was for my husband, <laughs> why, and myself. Uh-huh. Just being merciful with the person that you love, and um, I know when I married my husband, he was an idol in my life, uh, and um, he wasn't free to be who he was. And um, I've learned to just be merciful to him, to let him be who he is, so that I can see his flaws and he can be comfortable being flawed. And then we can work it out with God and be sanctified. But for so many years, he had to walk around on eggshells, not wanting to like disrupt my image of him. Mm. 
How long have y'all been married? Fifteen years. Fifteen years. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna put a little pin here in what you said about uh, for so long my husband was my idol, and we're gonna come back to that because that is good, and we're gonna have a conversation about that. But I want to go back to something else you said. So you just dropped me two things in here that I'm like, we got to talk about. One things you said is um, I love God a whole lot, and I still mess up in parenting. And I think that is such a great conversation for moms to have, which is what led you to start this brunch for encouraging moms, because there's this kind of lie that if we, if I'm like never screw up, then I must love God a lot. Right. If I screw up in motherhood, there must be something wrong with my relationship. How do you say that they can both work, be true? I mess up because I'm a sinner. Like, that's what I always say. That's what we do best is mess up. How do we, how do you put those in your brain and say, I can mess up and man, I'm still pursuing Jesus with everything I got. How do you lay down at night and like put those together? Because I'm saved by grace. And so it's not the act of my will. And so even if I do everything great, so what? It's not good to God. Right. And so um, it's when I humbly put my flawed self before him that he can fill me up. Um, it does break my heart. And I do often say, God, like, shouldn't I be able to perfect this a little better? Like, because I am a vessel of the spirit and some things you do perfect. You know, I don't want to paint a picture that we just are out lawlessly sinning, but we're working through some things. Like when you know Christ, there's a war raged in your heart because you want to do what you want to do. And the spirit is saying, no, this is what God wants you to do. Um, and I become such a better person. Um, in the fact that I've become more comfortable being flawed. But what happens is we're living out a world where propaganda teaches us what we should be like. And so I bought the lie that Christians have to be perfect. And those kinds of Christians are the people that um, people hate, even though true Christians already know the truth. It was just that I was working my way to knowing the truth. Mm. Um, And the more vulnerable and real I can be, the more God can be glorified because he's glorified in my weakness, not my strength. Well, we're done here today, people. So that's uh, <laughs> so true. I mean, I talk a lot about being vulnerable and that would be like what you're just doing just now of women just saying, hey, here's where I'm like, here's where God's working in me. Here's where I'm not yet perfected, which is everything in our life. But you said something that was so profound. You said that these Christians that are acting like they're perfect is who people don't like. And I often say the world is looking for Christians who say I'm broken and Jesus fixes me instead of I don't need him because I have it all together. And so even just your encouragement to moms of going, hey, I mess up. And it's because of Jesus that I can get up. I think one thing too, and I'd love to hear you speak on this, is I think what you said about how you you kind of put those two together. Like I can be a, a broken mom. And what I mean is just, I got to make mistakes. You know, I still love God. But I think where women get hung up is they stay on the focus on the, here's where I screwed up. How could God love me? And so that's been a journey for me in lots of areas of my life. But if we just talk motherhood, what does that look like for you? You made it seem so simple of, well, God, you know, I've saved all the grace and all that kind of stuff. Practically, how do you handle that of getting up the next day and starting over? Because his mercies are made new in the morning, you know, like, and that's true. It may sound trite, but, um, my kids and I are going through this lesson right now of being both hearers and doers of the word. And so all I've got is to take God at his word. But in so doing, I need to also try to let my works match up with that. Not outward works, but the works that flow from the inward spirit that's inside of me. And so when I see my life and I see who I am on my own, 
I know that it's him and not me. So when I wake up in the morning, I'm not carrying myself. He's carrying me. Now, obviously, we have to work this out with fear and trembling, right? But knowing that it is God who wills and works in us for his good pleasure. And so it all kind of just works together. And the beauty of coming to Christ raw is that you don't even know all the extra biblical stuff. You're just putting one foot in front of the other, going after it, and then he's ordering your steps. Yeah. I think that parenting is one of the hardest things. It's brought most of my sin to the surface, more than more than marriage did, more than college, more than work, more than friendships, more than anything is yes. that has brought it to the surface. And so I'm thankful for that. But one of the things I've seen along the way, and I don't think that you have to be um, a parent to display what I'm about to say. I think anytime you're in any kind of interpersonal relationship, this plays out. But in our specific conversation about parenting is I think even when we're talking, you and I are talking about, you know, trusting God in our weakness and that he is strong in that, is that I want to also be a display to my children about mom screws up. Mom is sorry. Will you forgive me? We're going to carry on now. And I always say all my kids are going to need counseling when they're older. I think everyone needs counseling, so they should just get in line as well. And they'll probably have stories about us. But I do hope that they remember their mom saying she's sorry. Yep. We teach our kids, but because when they do things to each other, forgive, but don't tell someone what they did to you was okay. Because with uh, my little kids, they would always say, do you forgive me? And they'll say, yeah, it's okay. And we say, no, always forgive, but it was not okay what they did, or it was not okay what mommy did to you. It was not okay yesterday when I got a little bit more upset than what was necessary for what you did. What I did was not okay, Um, but there is forgiveness. And so, yes, forgive me because you're forgiven, but what I did was not okay. That's good. My 14, my 15 year old and my 11 year old, that's the top of the chain and the bottom of the chain got into it the other day. I made that, this is a 15-year-old boy and 11-year-old girl. I made them sit crisscross applesauce in front of each other and hold hands and look each other in the eye and say, you did this and it hurt me. And then I forgive you. And then I said, now hug. And they both looked at me like I asked them to each cut their arms off. I said, hug your brother right now. And they were like, oh. (laughs) But I made them sit and look at each other and they hated every minute of it. And then I started laughing in the middle and then it got really funny. But you know. Because my husband and I actually used to do that. So like whenever we're in a good place, we make, we set guardrails in our marriage. And I know there are outward things, but one thing we realize is when we are upset, whomever made the other person upset has to pursue the person that's upset and hug them. So tell me an example, like, like someone didn't put the laundry, we're going to say a dumb example, yeah. but somebody didn't put their socks in the laundry yeah. thing. And who did it? My husband didn't put his laundry away. <laughs> okay. Jericho did not put his laundry away. And I'm on 10. Okay. And, um. He pursues me to hug me. Um, I may not. And he was the one in wrong, uh, that wronged. Right. So he's the reason that I'm upset. Yeah. Me not being, it shouldn't, the fact that I shouldn't have been upset is a different story. Okay. We're dealing with the fact that I am yeah, upset. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so he has to hug me. Um, and there's a limit to where I can go though. Because obviously sometimes you don't want to be touched. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have to stay true to who I am in Christ so that I don't go beyond the limit and make it impossible for him to hug me. Um, I can resist a little, but I can't resist beyond what's in line with where I am in Christ. Yeah. And it it really does make it better. Touch does something for your soul. Yeah. Um, it was kooky, but um, those are the things that we love because of where we come from. Who does kooky things like yeah. that? Yeah. Um, so it's cool to see. Do you know your love language? Affirmation and gifts. Oh, 
Yes. What about Jericho? Um, personal space. So he doesn't get his. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't get his. Yeah. Um, and he likes affirmation mm-hmm. a lot. He's a football player. Yeah. He's cheerleading is like his thing. Yeah. So he he needs a cheerleader, but he yeah. also needs like he likes peace and quiet. Yeah. And y'all have five kids. So he doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. He has he a cheerleader. He has to go to work. <laughs> he, he was so pumped. He was so excited. Um, I know. Yeah. They, I know. He left yesterday. He was so excited. Yeah. Um, and honestly, I used to find rest in my heart knowing that he got that break. Like yeah. it was something that I felt like was a gift from God to him. Um, now, the fact that I get to work and get a break, I don't see it the same way. You don't. Mm-mm. Because I sometimes, um, I travel for my job a lot, and I love traveling. I love what I do, all the things. I always love going home, too. But sometimes it is kind of a little re, like, okay, I'm, I get two nights. I'm going to do what I do best, and then I'm going to go home and do my mom best as well. But do you well. feel guilty, though? See, like me, I don't. I my need, kids are big. Okay. I do. What I do you do. feel guilty about? Well, because I homeschool them so that I can impress upon okay, them. Okay, yeah. And then now I'm gone about three days because I drive two hours to work and two hours back home. Gracious. My store is two hours away. So this is a decor store? It's like home furnishings, and then I've fallen into home styling. Okay. I've only owned the store for 10 months. Can I ask you why you bought a store two hours away? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I knew that I wanted an already existing okay, business. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so on paper, it was perfect. Yeah. And so a store that's live is worth the drive. That's right. That's good. <laughs> so you drive two or three days a week to go to work. Yes. Which one? Two or three? Either. You sometimes. Fluctuates, okay, yeah. Yes. So and that's why it was yes, every time yes. you drive away? Um, it just depends on where we are. Okay. Yeah. So today, not so bad because... <laughs> Look, with my works righteous part of myself, I feel like I had a good night with the kids uh last night. So today I feel fine. But it's chaotic with five kids. I have a daughter that swims about four days a week. Um, My son takes piano lessons three days a week. One of my daughters, two days a week. It's crazy. It's crazy. I know. And you have a two-year-old. And have a two-year-old who does not desire to be potty trained. And Mm. since he's my fifth, I'm cool with that. Yeah. You're like, oh, I was going to say. I'm cool. Don't even worry about that. It's all good. Yes. That's the least of your worries. I don't want to get up at dinner to to take your potty anyways. (laughs) Go in your diaper. (laughs) Please. (laughs) Exactly. You have a diaper. Use it. Use it. Yes. And he knows. Um, Yeah. I don't feel guilty now. This month that we're recording this has turned into a very busy month for my husband and I. Part of that was we went to Italy without kids. So, I mean, I, that's needed in a marriage to no. get away. Um, but then we've also had all these added work things. So there have been time. I mean, my kids at summer break. And so my kids are at home with my mom or, you know, with a babysitter. And there are times that I feel like, oh, I hate this for them. But then I remember that I am a better mom because I'm actually walking in what God's asked me to do. So, and then I remember, Hey, your mom got a J-O-B. So we get to go do this when I get home. (laughs) And I will agree that I am better. Um, when I'm with them all the time, they're great, but I, all that I know how to do is school and mommy, my grandmother, (laughs) even though she had dementia, had enough wherewithal to look one day and just say, is this all that she does schools them? Because, um, we went after it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think the truth of it is that I should be able to be that fresh with them all the time. Yeah. Like I know that in Christ, 
there will come a day where I don't need to leave to be refreshed, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so that's the part that I think makes me feel guilty. Not the physical nature of me leaving, but the fact that I need to leave mm-hmm. to be refreshed. I think that you're, I think that also just give you, let me give you a little bit of perspective from someone who's further in parenting than you are. I have a 15 year old, you right. know, and my youngest is as old as your oldest. Right. Okay. So I've been yes. through what you're in. Just to give you a little bit of like, let me just kind of throw some wind in your sails. This is really hard times. Um, and I say like, you are putting in the work right now and you're going to see the fruit of that in a couple of years. Um, I recently put up an Instagram post about me coming home from out of town and the kitchen was completely clean because I have told my kids when I come home and the kitchen's a mess, I am a bad mom. It makes me so angry. And then I'm mad at all of you guys. And so I, re- I reflected on that. It seems like a little thing to reflect on, but I thought this is from years of me saying, you guys got to pick up and you feel like a broken record. Yeah. You say the same thing all day long. So just to encourage you, you're going to see the fruit of that, that in a little bit. But now my kids, they are mature. So we don't have a messy house. They don't come out of their rooms without it being clean. Um, they took. A, I bet you run a tight ship. I do. They took a cooking class this week. They made homemade mac and cheese fried chicken. We had baked spaghetti. They make cakes. We, because we homeschool, yes, that my daughter got up in the morning before seven o'clock, gave herself a swim lesson in the pool. So when I came in her room at 8 a.m., she's already dressed. She's already showered. They are very, they take the dogs out. They're very mature, but they're still- There's five of them. Yeah. There's yeah. folly. Like, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, just to encourage you, keep pushing in. Like these are hard years. You're doing a great job. Thank you. It's a lot of kids. It's a lot. It's only one more than I have. And some days we want one more though. Are you not done? I feel like the right thing to say is I'm not done. But the true answer is I hope to not be done, but I'm terrified to have more that I am. Especially if I didn't have the store. Yeah. For sure. Mm -hmm. And if my husband plays around and buys us a house with an additional bedroom, Mm -hmm. we probably will. Because we seven people under our roof, four bedrooms. Yeah. Well, are you, would you like to break any news here? Are you are y'all adding to your family? Not yet. My phone hasn't rang because okay. that's how I. <laughs> I know. Yeah. <laughs> okay, guys. I know you're loving the show, but first, I want to thank our sponsors. Today's show is brought to you by Molecule. Molecule is reimagining the future of clean air, starting with the air purifier. Unlike outdated HEPA filters, Molecule air purifiers use revolutionary PICO technology to destroy indoor air pollutants at a molecule level, removing them from the air you breathe. Molecule's technology has been verified by science, but most importantly, it's been tested by real people, including me, you guys, and has given allergy and asthma sufferers around the country an all new experience. One customer even said that she was able to breathe through her nose for the first time in 15 years. Molecule now offers their breakthrough Pico technology across a range of products. Whether you need the Molecule Air for large rooms or the Molecule Air Mini for smaller rooms, you can now choose the unit that's best for your space or create a bundle to provide an air purification solution for your entire home. We actually have a Molecule Air purifier in our bedroom, and it really has made an incredible difference in my husband's seasonal allergies. Not only does it make a difference in our allergies, but I can tell you that it's also stylish, so you're not afraid to put it out where people can see it. For 10% off your first air purifier order, visit Molecule.com and enter Jamie10 at checkout. That's Molecule, M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E.com. Use the code Jamie10. Today's show is also brought to you by Stamps.com. 
No one really has time to go to the post office. I don't. You're busy. That's why you need Stamps.com. Stamps.com brings all the amazing services of the U.S. Post Office right to your computer. Whether you're a small office sending invoices, an online seller shipping out products, or even a warehouse sending thousands of packages a day, Stamps.com can handle it all with ease. Simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send. Then, once your mail is ready, just hand it to your mail carrier or drop it in a mailbox. With Stamps.com, you get $0.05 off every first-class stamp and up to 40% off priority mail. Not to mention, it's a fraction of the cost of those expensive postage meters. We use Stamps.com all the time over here at the Ivy Media office. Right now, our listeners get a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage and a digital scale without any long-term commitment. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in happy hour. That's Stamps.com, enter happy hour. Okay, friends, before I continue my conversation with Mercedes, I want to tell you about another sponsor of today's show, and that is a new podcast called Stories from the Austin Stone. Stories from the Austin Stone is a podcast from the Austin Stone Story Team, a ministry that tells honest and encouraging stories of gospel transformation. The latest season of their podcast is called Expectant, and it features stories from eight families who have found their hope in Christ in the face of infertility, miscarriage, and infant loss. Here's a trailer to give you a glimpse of the stories that you'll hear on this phenomenal podcast. Expectant. One definition says that expectant is showing an excited feeling that something is about to happen. Being expectant, it's looking forward to something. We found out just a couple months later that we were going to be expecting a girl, which was a really big deal for us. I could feel her hiccuping. I remember I could feel the hiccups all the time. But what do we do when the unexpected happens? The things that happen that we weren't dreaming of, the things we didn't anticipate. That was a very, a very hard day. The unexpected in this life will come. And when it does, we can expect our God to be strong, faithful, loving, and merciful beyond measure. It's grieving and, and rejoicing at the same time, and that's, that's the hope we have in Christ. Life really is about learning to trust God when it's the hardest. Expectant is an eight-episode season from the Stories from the Austin Stone podcast, featuring stories of faithfulness in the face of infertility, miscarriage, and infant loss. You can listen to these stories today by subscribing to Stories from the Austin Stone in your favorite podcast player or by visiting austinstone.org slash stories. Before we move on, this reminded me of how we met. So I was in Charlotte, North Carolina. I believe it was last year. Was it last fall? Yes. I was speaking at a conference here that my friend Lisa Whittle was putting on. Lisa Whittle, myself, and Jackie Hill Perry were having dinner. We look out the restaurant. It is as if... I can't even describe to you what well, it was we like. We met before that. I know, but I was going to say, I yeah. didn't remember that. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I, I see this sea of people all wearing head to toe white. And I'm thinking, what world am I in? What's happening? And so we're just so confused. We're so trying to figure it out. We're Googling. We don't even know. And I go outside and you yell at me from across the street. I'm like, oh, I'm about to get the inside scoop. So I run over there. And then you had reminded me that we had met before at an adoption banquet. Yeah. Yeah. And so what was the thing with everyone dressed in white? Dinner and Blanc. And what is Dinner and Blanc? 
So it's uh, French for dinner in white, and it was started by someone in France who wanted an opportunity to get together with his family, but in a way that didn't burden everyone. And so now they've gone to so many different countries, and I don't really know how you get on the list. So I'm assuming they hired like a promoter for Charlotte, and I was on the list. And when you're on the list, you get the first opportunity to sign up. And I did, but I missed it for this year. Okay, but listen, everyone brings food. So you bring your own food. You have to bring your own table, your own chairs, your own decor. You don't know exactly where you're going. You get a meeting spot, and then you have about 10 minutes to set up and decorate your table. It is the and coolest thing. And you had thing. yours catered. You're yes. a girl after my own heart. I, I know did. That. I did. <laughs> and you befriend the people that are near you. So even though you might come with friends, you're all in white because you're all friends. Like it was the coolest thing. You're taking pictures and selfies with people that you don't know. It was the coolest night. Okay. Now, is this more of an African-American culture thing? Because nope. Starting in France. Well, I know you said that, but when I was there, it seemed like it was all um, black people. Because it was probably just Charlotte and the promoter that they used. You I get was, what I'm saying? Yeah, but I was like, I want to come over. Yeah, but there were a few fellow Anglo-Saxons. I love it. But yeah, so the one like in New York and New Jersey, there weren't a ton of black people. Yeah. And I was shocked too. I did. I thought the demographic was going to be a bit more diverse, uh-huh. but it was still great. Yeah. Um, it and they so had a great crowd. There were some... Really influential people from the Charlotte area there. That's awesome. Um, okay, so we met there. Yes. But we had met previously at an adoption banquet. So that takes me to your family. So tell us about how your family became the family of seven. Like, how did you start adding to your family? So I'm barren. I was born without a uterus. Like, really? Oh, yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. Is there a medical term for that? There are several. The one that I remember, I think, is vaginal. Genesis or something. It just means with, it means without a vagina. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there's another word that's really long. That's more um, politically correct, probably. Yeah. And it's similar to Down syndrome where there's just a miscoding in your DNA and it's a random thing that happens. But as a result, um, I could have issues with my kidneys. I likely don't have a cervix just because of how things all develop together. But so far it's been great. I mean, when you think about the fact that I'm born without a womb, but I like fully woman, like boobs, hair, where feminine, it's supposed yeah, to yeah, be. Yeah, all that stuff, yeah. <laughs> um, and so I I kind of feel like I grew up with it always knowing, but I didn't find out for sure until I was 18. Um, I got, I would get sick. So when women would menstruate, I would get like a urinary tract infection. And I, so every month, I mean, it was a disaster. Oh, yeah. Um, and then one summer I got sick. I was at governor's school and I think so. I'm pretty brown, right? But when I was younger, I really was allergic to the sun. It sounds so crazy. <laughs> and um, it was hot in Laurenburg and I got really sick. And I don't know how my mom got me from being ill to a gynecologist. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, from the sun to yeah. the you know, women part doctor. Yeah. And um, she discovered that I didn't have a uterus. And, um, and so you did not know until you were 18. I didn't know. Okay. I knew something because I never menstruated. Yeah. Um, and I had friends that would say they would be my surrogate in junior uh-huh. high. All this. So I grew up with it. And that part was beautiful because I was protected by my innocence. Yeah. And so I never, I never mourned not having a uterus. And so when I met my husband, I thought, oh, we'll have a surrogate. I have ovaries. We'll have biological children. That was my pitch. Can I stop you for a second? Yeah. Finding that out at 18, I mean, was that a difficult thing for you to hear? Why not? Why wasn't it difficult? I think just innocence. You know, I come from a place where you need to make it out, you know, and um, people who saw me because the first doctors that I went to, 
They thought my uterus was undersized. They didn't even order an ultrasound. I remember the doctor patting me on my head and being so happy, almost happy that like pregnancy wouldn't keep me from college. Now, when I think about that, I cry because it's so sad. Like you should want, we are called to be vice agents. We need to be procreating, but the right way. Right. Mm -hmm. So I get that he didn't want me to have children out of wedlock, but to rejoice that he knew that I was going to go to college and not have to come home to care for a child, just disciple me, mm. teach me, have more faith in God than that, you know? But Is he, this because of where you grew up? Where I grew up. He literally patted me on the head and was, he, and I get it though, don't get me wrong. Um, he wanted one to make it out, mm. you know? And and I, that part I knew what people were doing. But anyway, so I did Where'd it more you grow up? Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Okay. Um, but all that to say that um, I never mourned. Okay. Um, it was- were you a Christian? Um, culturally, that's it. Yeah. I mean, I had Bible study and everything, moral, all the things. Yeah. Is that your term? All the what? things? Yeah. Oh. Well, it's not mine, but, but I say it all the time. <laughs> Go for it, girl. Um, but yeah, all the things, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and honestly, I couldn't have handled being pregnant um, outside of marriage. And I probably would have done something that I don't agree with now. Yeah. But so I see it as God saving me. Mm. I rejoice at the fact that I am barren. Um God's kindness extended to me. You know, when people see my husband and I, uh, we look fruitful. We Adoption is such a beautiful picture of God's love for us. I'm adopted in Christ. I love every part of it. My children think they're awesome. For a time, they would ask everyone that we met, Mom, are they adopted too? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yeah, in Christ, but mm -hmm. you're twice adopted, mm -hmm. you know, well, my oldest is. But no, yeah. I, it never bothered me. Do you remember when you told Jericho? Yeah, so we've been together ever since the day that we met. And um, I feel like Ruth, I'm like, oh, I'm so marrying this guy. So I told him soon. And he was young and naive and rough around the edges. So it was like, cool, then you won't get baby fat. Like, you go. you're going to always look like this and we're going to have kids. We were, we just didn't know any yeah. better. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, let's go into when you told your husband, when y'all found out you couldn't do IVF. So we literally lived in the neighborhood with our IVF doctor in Long Island. We had, we were ready for my injections. Um, my mom and my sister were candidates to be my surrogate. Oh my gosh. And by the grace of God, I was, I had just been introduced to Priscilla Shire's studies and I had done, um, he speaks to me and I can't remember that, but her earlier studies and, um, just started praying and just realized that God could have given me a uterus. He like could have, he could have, I didn't lose it. I didn't get it removed. I literally was born without it. And, um, new to my faith, this was probably 2006. I didn't come to Christ until 2004. Um, and I thought only weird people tried to discern what God wanted for them. <laughs> and so I said, God, we're, I'm going to try this. What, what do you want for me? Why mm. did you have me be born this way? That was the first time that I'd ever deliberately tried to live my life, um, according to his will. Like where you started to say, there's a purpose in this. Yeah. And at every point in my life, I've had a friend that was adopted every point, every wow. I've been dated people that were adopted and I didn't know She's going to kill me, but my very best friend is adopted. Um, but I didn't know. I didn't know. And so um, the Lord started putting adoption on my heart. I went to my husband. It was the first time that I cried because I remember he was still an idol mm -hmm. um, in my life. And I just said, babe, I love you. I do. But I love God more. I cannot do this. I can't. I, this is not right for me. It would take too much. I mean, you think about it. They have to masturbate, like all these things that just weren't 
according to what I'm learning now, you know? And the way that the doctor just loosely said, you know, we'll give him a magazine and he'll, I'm like, this is not how I want to have children. And God bless the women who are out there who have done this. God bless you because scientific advances exist for God's glory. But this is my story. Well, I think even what I'm hearing you saying is that you had a moment where it was, it was bigger than the things that that IVF would put you and your husband through. It's like you had this moment where you went, maybe God made me this way for a bigger purpose than what I'm understanding. And I think that is a moment that I think no matter where we're walking in life, we have something that we have to come to terms with about that. It may not be that you don't have a uterus, but it could be other things where you go, maybe God is in this. And I think that is a beautiful, profound, life-changing place to come to wherever that is in your life. And it changed your life. Yeah, because what it did for my faithfulness, right? Um, And my faith and belief, because I wasn't accustomed to being directed that way, right? I knew to read scripture and try to do what it said, but to actually wait, right? So now when I went to my husband and I told him this bawling, he said, you know what? We'll just pray about it until we're equally yoked. Okay, those words are simple, right? But they were like a thousand miles beyond our maturity, like one bazillion miles above where we were. But what he thought was that we would pray about it and I would change my mind. For sure. That's what you always think when it's not what you want. But what I knew was that we would pray about it and he would change his. And this was in July. And by February, we were at a conference. We heard Vodi Bakum speak. And like that, I didn't know what was going on. But my husband's heart changed. He is so quiet and soft-spoken, but he stands up in front of hundreds of people and says, I'm going to be a dad. He does not talk. The whole backstory for that is so loaded. Um, and this was February now. So we started July, 2006. This is February, 2007. By August, 2007, we had a child. Oh my gosh. Um, now I will be honest. I did still wonder what my biological children would look like after February, March, 10th, 2007, I was at a Christian conference with a little girl, Elizabeth DeVivo. She's Hispanic. She grabbed my hand, asked me, hey, can you come pray with me? And she's praying. I have no idea what she said. I'm daydreaming like, Lord, I love this girl. I love her so much. I love her as if she's my own child. Mm -hmm. And then I black out again and I'm like, who needs biological children? Like, I love her. Like I, and literally my mouth began to taste funny. Like I no longer desire to have biological children. So when we had our first child, I was sold out for adoption. I wasn't quite mission-minded yet with it. I didn't aspire to have five children, but we had one. Yeah. I remember when we adopted our first son um, domestically, and I had had a biological son. So when we um, started our process, uh, my son was nine months old. And when my other son came home, he was 15 months old. So I'm, I'm in the motherhood And I remember that I would ask other moms that I knew that I had adopted. And I would say, it was like, I would ask them not in a big group. I'd pull them aside and kind of whisper in the ear, the ones that I knew that had both biological and children that joined their family through adoption. And I would say, tell me the truth. Do you love them the same? I knew that's what you And um, my biggest prayer, the whole adoption, because I had had a child grow in me, come out, that I had experienced that. And my biggest prayer was, God, I just, I want to, I want to love this kid the same. And I'll never forget, we, we were blessed to be able to be at the hospital when Deacon, my son was born and we went down and we're standing in front of the wall and, uh, 
it makes me cry every time because there's all these babies in there. We have no idea which one is potentially to be our son. And they went over and they held him up and I started crying and I felt a love for him as I had felt when they had held up my son after I had birthed him. And it was just, and listen, I'm, I'm a very truthful adoption mama in person. You know, there's, I love talking to people at conferences or over coffee. Adoption's hard and there's some hard things that come along with it, but that was a really neat experience that God allowed me to have. And I'm not saying everyone has those moments at all. Um, I think that people get kind of confused. I think people, I've had people on the show who had birthed children and said, I did not feel anything for them for the first year. That's very normal and that happens. And so that's just kind of my story that I like to tell of, I remember God showing up in that way that I needed in our first adoption journey, you know? No, I have loved all of my children. Um, I found out about all of them through a call. And even, you know, we ask if I'm done, if this phone, if my phone rings, it's always just like finding out that I'm pregnant. Yeah. But um, adoption is a gift. It's not for everyone, but I'm thankful that I'm called to it. I couldn't imagine my life any other way. For us, adoption isn't as hard as the way that it is for most people because our people don't know that our children are adopted. Mm-hmm. Well, my two-year-old um, is really fair, but that's how when you're brown, you can be any shade yeah. of brown. Mm-hmm. So we don't run into a lot of, I'm sure as they get older, because we're sinners and they're going to want to ask questions, but the gospel is the answer for it all, you know? And when you get people to understand that you're not biologically related to your spouse and that your husband has become your closest relative by law, that's exactly how your children became your children. And it's beautiful because of the law in the old Testament and how Christ makes it better. Um, And that's what we feed our children because it's the best truth that we've got. I know. Another, this is a funny story I just remembered. One time I, when I just had two kids, Caden and Deacon, Caden biological, Deacon adopted domestic, they were like fighting about something. You know, they were little, little, because I didn't have any other kids. And Caden said to Deacon one time they were fighting, he said, well, you're adopted. And I was about to pull that car over and have some words, if you know what I mean. Yes. And Deacon just, without skipping a beat, he said, well, I have two moms and you only have one. And I thought, you, yes, because, you know, we talk about they have first moms and they have all these things. But I just thought, at first I was mad at Caden and I was like, we're going to have some words. But then second, I'm like, look at you, Deacon. You can take care of yourself. Yeah. He said, well, I have two moms and you only have one. Yeah. <laughs> You're so smart. No, um, my daughter did recently get to a point where she didn't like, because I, so I have two sons that are eight and my husband plays football and they're not twins. And so I have two sons that are six months apart. Right. So the same, yeah. But um, And so when people ask, we have to get into it so that they don't think that, you know. <laughs> um, and she did mention that it gets a little tricky for her now. But when I explained to her that it's an opportunity for us to witness, she's like, oh, well, then I'm good. Look at her. But it's it's good. And children are so impressionable. Like, we were just on vacation at St. Simmons Island in Georgia. And a little boy kept calling me mommy while he was holding his dad's hand. Now, I know his dad wanted to grow horns. <laughs> But I just said, don't you love children? Because he was not brown. Uh-huh. Um, I said, don't you just love children? It was all that I could do to not say hi, sweetheart. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I just wanted to help his dad feel better. So all that to say that when you bring up children in your home, adopted or biological, whatever you feed them is what they'll believe. Um, and they'll be, if you're fine with it, they'll be fine with it. Yeah. Okay, let's switch over and talk about marriage. You mentioned to me in an email that you grew up um, in a divorce home, witnessed abuse, experienced abuse. Your husband came from 
he's seen negative marriages. And so what have you guys done to say, we're not going to be a product of what we saw and were raised in how I know marriage is really important to you guys, even in our conversation today. And what I see that you're passionate about and speak to women about, how are you guys saying we're not going to be what we've seen? What was so tricky? I mean, I've learned so much from God by being married, but when I met my husband, I just wanted, I wanted to idolize him. I didn't know that, um, but it was how I acted. He was very quiet and reserved and I just confused that with him being so perfect and um, eager to please me and do whatever I asked. And um, I just misunderstood it, but it was just his personality. And also because he was, if he opened his mouth, something would fall out. Mm -hmm. So he kept it closed. Mm -hmm. (laughs) When you say idolize, explain that to the listeners so that they can understand like he became like your God and with a little G, like you're like saying he is my everything. He could do no wrong in my eyes. I just thought he was perfect. I bent over backwards for him. Anything that he needed or wanted, I think I felt like he rescued me. I had this saying, um, and it was empty seat, right? So in my mind, in my, so I, I rationalized it as saying in my life, I had this void, right? I had this empty seat in my life. And God chose my husband to sit in my seat and he filled my seat. And in filling my seat, he filled my heart. And, you know, being married to someone that's an athlete that can provide for you in worldly ways, coming from where I came from, it gets you you off mentally, you know, and um, he saved me. Everybody around me treated me like he saved me. I felt like he saved me. And even the fact, you know, it's expensive to adopt children. You know, Mm -hmm. here I am. Destined to be a barren woman, um, what would I have done, you know, without him? These are the things that I'm feeding myself. So, Was he an athlete when you met him? Well, I know he's we an athlete. We met in college. But, okay. So, yeah, he's always played football. I didn't know anything about the NFL or, um, but by my senior year, yeah, I'm like, whoa. Like, this is, we're about to. Yeah. Yeah. I still didn't really know, you know, like I worked at a pharmaceutical company and I worked until I literally moved. So. He left in April and I worked until September 4th because I'm still thinking he could get cut, not really understanding. But long story short, yes, he has always been an athlete since we've been together. Um, and and I'll be honest, that was one of the things that I loved about him. And he said, good, because I love that you were pretty and I wouldn't have married you if you weren't. <laughs> you know, we are real about those things. But in Christ, it's gotten realer and more organic. But So with all the all that he had going on around him, I... I just saw him as larger than life. Almost your way out too. Yeah. He's not a larger than life person. And don't get me wrong. I have a degree in chemistry, worked at a pharmaceutical company, had not gotten married, would have gone to pursue my PhD at NC State. My professor would have got me. And so I wasn't a, um, black women don't really grow up looking for someone to take care of them. Like you don't go to college to get married. You go to college to progress in life. And you're saying I was on, I, I can take care of myself. I'm doing this. Right. But it's by the grace of God that that's not my heart anymore. Like, no, my husband desires to take care of me and I desire to have that desire met by him. So, but anyways, I just wanted to share that I wasn't, I was excited that he played football, but I wasn't out there trying to get my way out because Mm -hmm. I was intellectually carving my own way out. Um, But it was just, it was easy. You know, his, I'd never seen a male figure be so soft-spoken and so reserved. I just never I just thought being boisterous was synonymous with being a boy. And so having him be counter to everything that I ever knew, it was just so easy for me to 
put him on a pedestal, idolize him. And what that did in our marriage, though, was that um, it stifled him. He walked around on eggshells. He struggled for the first four years in our marriage, but I didn't know because I was living my fairy tale. <laughs> what broke that? Growing in faith. Okay. Um, because what it's so easy to do, you know, we are made to worship and we like to worship what we can see. Right. And I could see my husband. So it was so easy to put my trust in him and say, oh, never do this to me and think that I could play mind games. But my trust needs to be in God. And once I put my trust in God, I didn't have to worry about whatever was going on with my husband. I could partner with him in life, pray for him, be a sister in Christ first, then his spouse. Right. But that's not how it was at first. And so now I aspire to see him inherit the kingdom of heaven. I aspire to see him do well in life. And the fruit of that is that hope he will be a good husband. But um, in the beginning, I wanted him to be a good husband above all things. And so now my trust is in God. So I don't have fears. You know, he's an athlete. He travels, but he has his own relationship with God. And so whatever he can handle doing with his relationship with God is between he and God. But I'm back home praying according to what I know to be true, what I know should be right, hoping that God manifests those qualities in his life because my trust is in God. Mm -hmm. So when he comes home, we don't have to revisit his trip or talk about anything. We pick up where we left off because we're both trying to get to the same place. I love that. I always say that early on in Aaron and I's marriage, uh, my goal was to be the best wife that ever was so that Aaron wouldn't leave me. I had really big uh, issues of feeling like I was going to get abandoned by him. He's going to find somebody better. And then we get all these kids and he comes home and I like spray some Lysol before he comes in. So it looks like I've been doing something. I wanted to do all of those things so he wouldn't leave me. Be kind, never bring up arguments, let him do whatever he wanted, all these things. And I was like, I'm going to be a good wife. And then God did a work on me. And I still think I'm a good wife. Like I, I enjoy being a good wife to Aaron, but I don't do it so he won't leave me. I do it because God loves me. And because right. I'm pursuing, just like what you just said, I'm pursuing Jesus more than I'm pursuing Aaron. And because I am doing that, I don't have to try to impress Aaron, but it's an overflow of my heart, these things that happen. Right. And so- it feels good to be here. Do you agree? It it's does. better than it the does. striving and the striving. trying to be something so that someone will love you, give you gifts, not leave you, all those things. I'm a better wife because I'm doing it for Jesus. You're freer. Like it, I, that paradigm shift of where my trust needs to lie within regard to my marriage just recently happened. Oh. It was the most freeing thing. Um, what brought it on? Revelation, just studying. Jesus, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, Yes, you know, because we've been through things in our marriage. And so you want to hold something, you want to hold someone accountable to something. But when I rest and let God hold him accountable, and when he rests and allows God to hold me accountable, that's some accountability mm -hmm. that you can put your trust in. Yeah. Yeah. Because we can't change each other. No. I mean, we've learned that in all these years of marriage. Didn't I think I could. Yeah. Yeah. He used to sing Beyonce to him all the time. <laughs> Silk line, blazers, whatever. Yeah. I'm like, I upgraded you. But yeah. no, no, God upgraded him mm -hmm. and I get to benefit from it. Well, I love hearing you talk about your motherhood journey and um, seeing God's purpose in the way he crafted you, which is God, just like that's going to touch so many people. And just to see their their even their bodies or their talents or their gifts different is in this is how God made me for a purpose. Um, and your journey with marriage and all the things. And I am just so thankful for you to come on the show. No, Thanks. I'm thankful that you had me.
And I hope that I run into you every time I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. Absolutely. Um, okay. So I always ask my guests, what things are you loving and what are you reading? So what are you into these days? So I never enjoyed reading as a child. So what happens is as an adult, I read several things at one time and I read on the throne. Do you know where the throne is? Is that the toilet? Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> so I, I would read, not expect that from you. I do. That's because Mercedes. I know that I'm going in there. Uh-huh. And so I keep, we keep books. My husband does too. We keep books stacked in there. We keep them by our bedside too. But right now I'm reading Ruth and Esther, 12 Extraordinary Women, Heaven by Randy Alcorn, I'm reading a dogmatics book, um, God and Creation, and then I'm reading through the Old Testament. And right now I'm in Second Samuel, um, but then I'm also reading James for a speaking engagement. And so I read just a bit of that daily so that I don't put pressure on myself. Yeah. That's and, a lot of books at one time. Yeah. My brain can't do that. I like need one book. I, it's probably a defense for me since I won't finish it uh-huh. quickly enough. I can feel like you get, you're covering yeah. all the bases. You're covering all the bases. <laughs> yeah. Um, what are some things you're loving these days besides this jumpsuit you got on? Right. I'm going to need this in my life. You got to get one before you leave. I got it right here in Concord. You did. But wait, it's Concord and people don't believe me and people always try to correct me. It's Concord. Well, no one in North Carolina is going to ever say Concord, but it's Concord. Oh, okay. I love having a store. I you love, love working your work, yeah. I do. I do. I love it. I love sitting here with you. That was so great. <laughs> Here's what you don't love, potty training. I don't. Which is why you're not doing it. I'm not doing it at all. Yeah. I gave him ice cream the other day to sit on his potty. Nice. That's what we do. Yes, <laughs> this is what we do. This is what we do. My first ki- four kids are like, well, first three, because Journey God treats too. Okay. But they're like, who is this woman? That is so funny. What are all your kids' names? Journey Whale. JC, Nicholas, Joshua, Journey, and Niall. Nicholas and Niall have J names. Everyone's a J, but Nicholas, Joshua, and Niall are their middle names. Okay. So all of my sons are named Jericho. They're all named Jericho. Yes. Is Jericho the second, your husband? Or kinda, this is a new thing? Kind of. It's, it's squiggly. Okay. But yeah, his, yeah, but kind of. <laughs> They're not like juniors or anything. I just love my husband that much. It's He's so embarrassed that all of our sons are named after him. That is hilarious. Yeah. And so he will s- describe it differently than I do. He'll say that, so our oldest son came home second. Okay. And he'll say that usually the oldest son is named, but that is not That's why. That's not all, why. No. They're all named Jericho because I love him. That is hilarious. Okay. So y'all, is he gone at training camp? Yes. And then y'all start the season? Yes. Do you go to all the games, all the kids? Y'all got the jerseys on? You know what? We go to most of the home games. I don't take all the children. That's one thing I don't feel guilty about. I used to not take any of them. Like it was my day off. I love that. Yeah. And it's I dress, a long day. And I dress up or dress nicely. So I don't always, I'm not always bedazzled. His last season playing, I did get jerseys made by Bella Artistry and, you know, try to. What do you mean you dress up for the football game? Like, like what I you look, have on now or you even um, more? I'd probably look like you okay um this i might wear the shoes i wouldn't but i do like i would wear a skirt or a dress or yes i've gotten my makeup done for a game i love it and then all the players wives sit together or your coach's wife now yes so coach's wife sit in one place and players wives sit in another place okay yes aaron and i got to go to a game to a um 49ers game because mm-hmm. our friend Colt was at 49ers and now he's at the Redskins. Um, and it was so fun being able to go it. with Rachel and the tailgate with the families. And I was like, this is a fun day. But isn't it cool to see how everyone who's cheering for the same team, they get along? Like I have slapped someone on their bottom before that I didn't know. 
And I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. You're like, we should take some lessons in this. Yeah. Like, but you feel so united. Do you like football? I love football. Okay, good. Yeah. I'm finding that I love soccer and swim too, but I love football. Yeah. How many years has your husband been coach? Three. This is his third. So what's the difference in a coach's wife and a player's wife for you? One is when you're a player, right? And you've just had a great game and you're going to like have all these interviews. Like it's a whole nother kind of thing. Being a coach, um, it's a different level of respect. But the point that he's at, he's kind of started over. You know, he's not like the head coach. He's not like an offensive or defensive coordinator, but your circles are different. Yeah. So I'm older now. You know, I was young in my 20s as a player's wife when we started off. Now I'll be 40 in October. And so it's just vastly different. We're all covered in kids. We understand if we have a luncheon, a kid might show up. (laughs) Um, And there's a little bit more freedom being a coach's wife. Like as a player's wife, the night before a game, players have to stay in a hotel room. They cannot come home. You cannot go near their hotel room. As a coach's wife, you can sleep in their room. They can come home. Whatever you'd like to do. Yeah. Because they're going to perform on the field tomorrow, whether they are with the woman or not. Yes. Yes. <laughs> they can still call the plays after having some relations. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's a real thing. Yeah. Too. I, know, no. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think people don't even know that, you know. Because they don't do it like they're supposed to when they're married. I'm like, you're not tired after that. You should be tired after that. Should, we're tired. We sleep. We're tired. <laughs> we're done. We're done. Yeah. I knew. I told Lindsay, sex is always going to come up on the happy hour. Oh, sorry. We're married people. People, you know, and it's you're supposed to be Very doing it. People should be Read doing the it. Song of Solomon. That's what I've got for you. <laughs> oh, I listened to Song of Solomon the other day in the message, and I was like, I'm getting kind of hot and bothered yeah. on this walk of mine. Yes. Aaron's out of town, and I'm reading the, <laughs> the Lord's Word, <laughs> and I'm getting hot and bothered. Pack a bag. For there, you yeah. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Mercedes, thank you so much. Thank you. You are just a gift, and I'm proud to know you. So thanks for coming thank on the Happy you. Hour. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. Friends, I love sitting down with Mercedes, and I'm so glad we got to do that after meeting all those years ago at the adoption banquet and then running into her in the streets of Charlotte. It was so much fun. I hope that we are all encouraged to consider what are the parts of our lives that we could say, maybe God made me this way for a bigger purpose. My bigger hope as you listen to today's show is, although you might not have the same stories and strugglers that Mercedes has been through, mine are different, but we all have something. We all have struggles. We all have hard things. But I hope for myself and for you as a listener that we can step back and that we can see God in the midst of the things that are hard for us. Today's show is edited by Chris with Podshaper and the music was developed by the show by Matt Graham. Show notes are written by Aki Slockers and the whole thing is organized by Lindsay Sweeney. Next week, my guest is Dr. Lena Abijamra. I learned about Lena through a friend of the show who shared with us about Lena's quarterly medical trips to aid Syrian refugees displaced by the war. We immediately hit it off when she came into the office. She is fast talking. You cannot listen to this show next week on double speed like I do. She's gonna shoot you straight and I love that. She's passionate about Bible teaching. She is a single woman, a medical doctor who has navigated the paths of discipline and disappointments. You are not gonna wanna miss next week's show. Guys, enjoy your week. Share the show with a girlfriend. Have a happy hour with a friend and I will see you back here next week with my friend, Dr. Lena Abijamra.